it's hard to know as you prepare to preach and then the world seems to fall apart what the Lord would have us to say and, and how to share. So I know you're praying for me as, uh, as these few moments slip by so quickly. I had a whole page of gratitude things I wanted to say. I'm looking around the room at people I, I deeply love, people who taught me, modeled for me the Christian life, uh, family and friends, and this place. It's, it's interesting how humbling it is to come to, to preach and have to walk past John Wesley's statue on the way. It's a reminder of, of how inadequate I am. Or to look on this, this podium, this pulpit, and to see J. Ellsworth Callis' name, uh, and things like that. So I just want to let you know how grateful I am for this sharing. And as I've got Ukraine on my heart and mine and Russia as well, um, I pray the Lord will, will take these few ideas and, and help you today in some way. I've, I've been told that, steward, that servanthood is a, is a focus for the entire year. And this semester, I think if I'm not correct, you're, you're looking at more practical ways. And I'm not the best person to tell anybody about practice. Theology is my area. Uh, I love ideas probably too much. I'm not practical enough, my, my wife tells me often, and my children. Um, but I think, my, if I'm not correct, if I am correct, if we get the ideas right, the ideas will permeate our lives. I think that's what Jesus means, so that when he comes to us in this way, in this paragraph, or anytime he speaks, it's a good reminder to me, as, as Diane said, your word is from above, I thought, well, that's exactly right. Every time Jesus speaks, this is a divine word. It's the same thing as if you and I were standing before the burning bush when God spoke through that angel in that bush there in, in the desert. It's when Jesus speaks, this is the Holy One speaking. And basically, I would say, he's speaking about everything all the time. He's not just talking about what I need for my devotions. He's talking about reality. He's revealing himself. And this paragraph to me is incredibly important, as it is for all of us. You know it almost by heart. I mean, who doesn't quote these verses, deny myself, take up my cross, follow? We know it by, by rote memory. But as I thought about your servant-like hearts and your ministries to come in Jesus, in the Spirit, as, as I've looked back on 40-plus years now of ministry, I've thought, Lord, do I understand what this means? Now, we know when it comes. You know your, your background from the New Testament. It's, it's in the middle, if you will, of the ministry of Jesus, at least how the, how the Gospels are structured. You've got that first year of ministry where everybody's pretty happy. You've got the second year of ministry where people begin to ask questions. And the third year where they want you to leave town. That's exactly how most of you will face ministry wherever you go. That's a pretty good outline for all of life. And that means you come to a place where you have to pivot your focus. All pastors do, all ministers. Why am I here? What am I doing? You can leave or be sent away. Or you can say, Lord, I, I want to know what it means for me in this place to, to live like you lived. I want to hear your voice. Do I really want to deny myself? Am I really willing to take up a cross, my cross? And am I really willing to follow you no matter where you lead me? even if it is to stay, to stay here. Now, it's intriguing. Everything pivots here. And they begin to see Jesus for who he really is, the one true person who came to reveal, reveal the Father through the Spirit. And he has basically one agenda, and that is to make us like him. In our seminary, this seminary, I can say our because I graduate from here, our seminary, it is to make us holy. It's to make us like himself. So all the language and all the debates about entire sanctification and holiness 
It really comes back down to a paragraph like this. What does Jesus mean to me? How do I live this paragraph out? If I were Peter, if I were a disciple standing here, what would I take Jesus to mean to me today in this place? Now, I was helped. I've been helped by Asbury Seminary for 40 plus years. This is a picture of my first page of English Bible that was graded by Robert Trana himself in a room of five people in Jerusalem when I was just 23 years old. I sweat for a week on my Mark survey, and I got everything wrong. <laughs> As you see here, he says something like, keep working, or keep, keep exploring, try harder. I think for the next four years, that's all I ever did on EB lessons, is just to try harder. But I do remember this in a lecture halfway through that course, Mark chapter 8, and many things I still believe about that, you'll see even in these few moments, they still permeate my, my theology. What I learned in that classroom, I'm still applying to my life. I still preach it. It's amazing how what we learn here affects thousands of people if we let it, if we're free enough. Not just classes, not just grades, but the gospel in all the world. That's what he's after. His nature in all the world. In Ukraine, in Russia, his self-denying nature. And so you've got this incredible paragraph, which we all know is a pivot, it's a shift, but it shifts at this very point. And I think in my first attempt at English Bible, I counted every question mark in the book of Mark. I thought that's what he wanted. And so I counted it. 114 question marks. He didn't say anything about that work. It was ridiculous to him, but I found that's a lot, a lot of questions. Who, who is this one? What's he about? What's he doing? And the answer comes, and it comes through the mouth of a human being. You are the Messiah, putting all the Gospels together. You're the Son of Man. You are the, the, the Son of the living God. This incredible, it's, for me, it's, I think it's almost more beautiful than creation itself. To have a human being recognize God in the flesh. Now, I know it wasn't complete. He'd not gone to Christology class yet, but he was looking at reality. There's something about you that is divine, and you're the son of the living God. I'm a Jew. He's living. You're living. You're his son. You're the Messiah. You've been sent from God. We know that about you. Now, it's interesting where Jesus is sent. I, I, I can't take time. You'll work through this in seminary, but it's important to know the context, geographically, archaeology, all that stuff. It's very important. Because for Jesus to say this in the region of Caesarea Philippi, means he's doing this on purpose. This is how dense I am. It was last year before I actually did some geography in my Lenten study. Before Jesus speaks here, he goes to Tyre and Sidon, Syrophoenician woman, the dog conversation, goes back to Decapolis, Gadara, the Gadarene demoniac, and then past the Galilean Sea again to Caesarea Philippi. It's a triad of paganism with his disciples. It's a world falling apart for them. A frightening world full of potentates and tyrants and all kinds of stuff. And Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Which is what you and I, that's the only place we can go this morning. We, we want to know who you are in the middle of this chaos. You must be who you say you are. For them, as we carry, bear them in our hearts today, you must be this one. So we have a world in which this occurs, pointing fingers of blame. 
disciples who were saying, yeah, it's a pagan world, it's falling apart, and I will use anything I want to excuse myself from being accountable to, to, be, to be a part of this problem. Mark Elliott, Dr. Mark Elliott, who you know in this city, very town, and one of the finest minds on this whole issue you'll ever know. If you get to meet him, hear him, do that on Russia and Ukraine. This morning he sent many of us a letter from the Russian evangelical church leaders, from Russian evangelicals, knowing that letter is going to be taken down quickly and they'll be in prison most likely. And in that letter, their first prayer is, Lord, we repent. We are wrong. I thought to myself, that's exactly what Jesus didn't find in his disciples. They were, they were pointing at everybody else, which is what I do when politics don't go my way. Or my 401k begins to dip down. All those things I point and say is somebody else's fault. And Jesus says, it may be somebody's fault for those things. But Bill, the bigger question is, who do you say that I am? And he takes these guys where? To the most pagan place in Israel's history, as far as I can tell. Four gods, four temples at least, and perversion everywhere. I know it's region, but they know what was happening there. And he says, now tell me who I am. They were disequilibrated. Like all of us, they, they didn't know for sure in this wild world. It's interesting when Jesus takes you to a place like this for a retreat. Anybody ever gone to a brothel for a retreat? <laughs> Go to a bar for a quiet time? That's where Jesus and the Lord loves to go. Now tell me who I am. I'm, I'm Christ in chapel. What about in downtown Lex? With the drug addicts and the alcoholics, who am I to you there? All of you will face this. All of you will. And you'll have just Jesus, just who he is. And intriguingly, lovingly, graciously, he says, now what about you? I'll tell you who I am, I'll show you, I'll answer all your questions about me that you need to have answered, but I want to know who you are. I want to show you my mind, the mind of a servant, Messiah sent, direct order from my father, I submitted to him, I came, and now I want to know who you are. What is your mind? What's your orientation? How do you look as, as the way of the cross for Jesus begins? as this mind pivots in this Lenten season again for us, and it's going to take you 50, as long as you live, to even begin to grasp the mystery of the Lenten season. It's not just repetition, it's, 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 it's overwhelmingly powerful. God, like me, turns, he pivots and says, I'm going to a cross, I'm dying, you're next. My cross, your cross. You want my mind? cross. You want to know who I am? Cross. And Christians, believers, we just don't really believe that. And the world mocks us. Doesn't sound very powerful to me. Cross. <laughs> Di and I spent years in Mississippi. The best preachers in the world are Mississippi black preachers. They are the best preachers in the universe. I used to get up at 4 a.m. on Sunday morning just to listen to six or seven of them preach. They could preach. I'll never forget, during one Easter week, 
one gentleman proclaiming the gospel beautifully. And then finally he said, he summarized all my Christology classes in a couple of sentences. He said, do you know why Jesus had his hands skewered to a cross? He was saying to us, I'll never protect myself. Do you know why his feet were skewered to that same tree, he said? He said, I'm not going anywhere. I thought, I've heard a lot of preaching on the cross. That's very helpful to me. Don't protect yourself and don't quit. Don't run. Jesus wouldn't. You want his mind? Do we really want his mind? We miss it. They passed the, the theology class. They got an A in theology. It was the application part of the two-part exam. They failed. It's okay to know something when I worship, but the application of that worship in life when it turns to radical service, serving when nobody sees, when nobody cares, that's when Jesus says, you have passed my test. You know why I've come. You can't separate person from passion in Jesus, and apparently you can't separate that same thing in any believer's life. My being is cross. My being is death. My being is self-denial. That's who I am. He's in me. I'm always intrigued when we talk about being filled with the Spirit. And then we talk about, like, shenanigans, some kind of flamboyancy stuff. I'm thinking, wait a minute. Who are we saying filled you? If the person of the Trinity, who is the least self-focused, the least self-exalted, he doesn't even talk about himself. If he fills you, you won't talk about yourself. But pastors are grand at building their little kingdoms and fiefdoms and comparing and pointing fingers and correcting and grumbling. And the, and the Lord says, have you never met me? Have you never seen who I am? Have you never walked? No. Have you ever followed me one step? I'm intrigued by that verb, follow me. <laughs> this is pretty homey, but it hits me in my heart. You heard about the pastor, I'm sure you've heard stories like this, but the pastor who was getting ready to preach, and of course, like most pastors, you had to be real quiet in the house when the preacher's getting ready to preach the sermon. So all the kids were cover, hovering in their rooms out of fear of making noise for daddy's preparation. His wife was in the kitchen quiet because he was preparing to preach the gospel. And he looks through the, the little cutout window from the study area to his wife's work area in the kitchen, and he saw his wife folding his underwear and ironing his t-shirt. And it dawned on him, I am not the pastor. She is. I would never serve anyone like she serves me. Oh, I'll preach at them with my three grand points. But don't ask me to serve anyone like that. And I thought, wait a minute. Have I ever served Anyone like that? Do you remember, I'm sure many of you have read the book, you should reread it, re -read it every year, but Bonhoeffer's book, Life Together, remember that tremendous section there on servanthood? Basically, these very astute comments, some I can't even understand, he's so deep for me, but basically what he was saying was, there are two kinds of love. There's that or service, there's that weird kind of self-centered service which says, I'm serving you so you recognize me, so I can bind myself to you. I confuse you to me. That means you owe me something. That's satanic. But spiritual service 
is when there is no immediacy. That's his word. There's nothing, there's always someone between you and the one you serve. And that one is the Holy Spirit. He always keeps service perfect if it's in Christ. It's never manipulative, never self-aggrandizing. It's always self-denying service. And again, I thought, have I ever served Diane for one minute like that? Don't I want her to recognize what I'm doing for her? And ministry, whoa, ungrateful people. Don't they know that I set the chairs up and swept the floors and picked up bulletins from last week on the floor? Don't they recognize? No, they won't. But Jesus sees it. And he says, yes, deny yourself, because that's what Jesus does. That's who he is. That's why he came from heaven. That's why he died on the cross. He denied himself. And that's not something new to God. That's the mutual inner life of the Trinity. Self-deferential love. Mutually offering honor to one another for eternity. It's the nature of sacrifice. This self-giving love. And Jesus comes out of, in that love, and he offers himself as a sacrifice on the altar. I'm weird. I, I love scholarly papers. I love going to scholarly meetings. The Lord speaks to me often in scholarly papers. It's just strange. <laughs> but in one, I remember a dark room at Marquette University decades ago. Some British scholar was talking about sacrifice. He said, it's really the symbol of reality. Just like I think what the Lord's talking about here. Self-denying love. It's, it's, it's a picture. It's a metaphor for us to have a glimpse into the transcendental life of God himself. God sacrifices. He he tilts in holy love toward us. He gives us free will. He gives us himself. He creates. He reveals. He redeems sacrificially. And so what do we do? Point fingers and get back at people. And the Lord said, wait, wait, wait. I want you to become living sacrifices. And I want you to join the sacrifice of all the church across all the world, even this morning in Ukraine. Join in that sacrifice. Why? Because all of this, all of this beautiful, it's all offering a sacrifice of praise to him. And I can get in the way with my stuff. (laughs) One of my favorite persons on this is an Orthodox priest, St. Innocent of Alaska. Whoever read a book, it's a tremendous book. I think he, he dealt with people like I do. What does all this mean, Yuri? (laughs) What's this look like? He said, well, I think when you deny yourself, what you do is you're saying, I will not love myself. There is no self-love. Now, you know what we're talking about here, the self that is flesh, nature of sin, curve, not the self that he created. No love of self motivates what I do. That's what denying yourself means. Second one take up your cross. He said, I think what that means at base is, don't grumble. Things are going to happen to all of us. Just don't grumble. If the Spirit can just remove that one thing from the church, we'd have revival. We point and grumble and complain. And Jesus says, excuse me, deny yourself, take up your cross, Follow me. Innocent said this. Follow. I think what happens is, because we don't know ourselves, we're pretty mixed up people, messed up. So you start following. No self-love. Okay, Jesus. 
I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to grumble in my heart. I'm not going to complain. It's a cross. Everybody cross. Okay, thank you. Show, following, following him means I follow, and Jesus says, I'm going to show you more. You did that there. You gave me all that, but there's more. Follow me. I'm going to show you every place you think in a wrong way about yourself. You can live in a way that's self-denying. When I was six, my dad took me to a very, very hot Chinese gymnasium. I grew up in Taiwan. And uh, we were the only, only Caucasians in the room. Thousands of Taiwanese and the two of us. And the evangelist. I was six. Way far away. I could barely see him. Never forget this. He said, I'll tell you what the cross is. He took his hands and he said, the cross is this. This is God's will for your life. And every one of us says, no. But Jesus came and he died on that nexus, on that point. His way, his heart, his mind, my mind. He died right there. Then he did this. And he, by his spirit, can make his mind, your mind, every time. From this to this. And I thought, Jesus, he's, I don't know fully what that means, but I want that at six. I think I was 26 before Jesus could fully, fully get into my dense psyche what this even begins to mean. Deny once, Luke says, deny daily. It's an ongoing, yes, put that all together, Lord, and many of you are in this place. You don't know it now. You're in this place. Not to be confused by sanctification. Not to be confused by holiness. But to say, Lord, I yield myself to you. You've already yielded all of yourself to me. I respond in abject love to this love. How great the Father's love for me. In a moment we're going to sing, Be Thou My Vision, O Lord of my heart. It's fancy language, but it's Mark 8 and the Bible. Not be all else to me. Nothing else to me. Save what you are. That's enough to live for. That's enough to offer the world that mocks and bombs and points and blames. And Jesus says, are you with me? Can I have you? For their sake. What happens when someone dies? A world can be redeemed, apparently. Would you bow your heads for a moment?